0: Yeah, what are we called? True North? True North. <laughs> Don't even know the name of our own podcast. 30 p.m., a body was recovered from the Red River near the Alexander An Ontario dogs.
1: woman says her father committed brutal murders and buried the bodies.
0: An Amber Alert is still in effect in parts of Canada for a two-year-old girl who authorities believe was abducted from her home. Ground. What about that city? Made it possible for for six serial killers to be operating in that millions town. Millions of dollars worth of maple syrup has been siphoned off from storage in Quebec, with the crime covered up. Those to men detection. had planned
1: for a year to find the used Dodge 3500 pickup truck through online classifieds. You ever been interviewed by the police in a in a room like this before? Or?
0: Hi, and welcome to True North Crime. My name is Shelley. My name is Rachel. And in this podcast, we will be covering crime and law in Canada with reference to uh, case law. Yes. Yes. So every week, (laughs) yeah, are you surprised that I summed that up nicely? Um, Every week, Rachel will be presenting a case, and then we will be analyzing an aspect of the law or something to do with the case um, that can be educational and further our knowledge of law. In Canada. In Canada, yes, specifically. Specific to Canada. Yes. Because
1: Canada is not the crime-free utopia.
0: People seem to think it is. <laughs> I, don't, I don't, yeah, I don't. I, apparently, like, Putin and Bears keeps, like, the law stable or something. Like, people law-abiding, but I don't, I don't know. Um, anyway, so, uh, Rachel, would, what do you have to yeah. present to us? Yeah, okay, so
1: week? for today, in our inaugural episode... I have selected a triple homicide oh. that took place in Ottawa, which is my hometown. When? Well, it begins, our story begins in June of 2007. Oh. So that morning, three people were found dead inside a condo on Riverside Drive. The three victims were a retired tax judge named Alvin Garron, his wife, Raymond, and their friend, Mary Claire. Uh, they were found by Raymond's brother, and he'd come over to check on Raymond and Alvin after they had missed an entire day of plans huh. that they had with family and friends. Yep. Uh, the three victims were tied up, beaten, and then suffocated with plastic bags over their heads. Oh, that's personal. Alvin also had a noose around his neck. Hmm. Um, and that little tidbit about the bags wasn't actually released uh, to the public until 2015.
0: Oh, they kept that one they kept to, that to one. see if they could nail the person with exactly. it? Exactly. Yeah. We'll go through that later. Yes. <laughs> and there was DNA
1: inside the bags, and when they ran that DNA profile, no match was found. Okay. Further frustrating police investigation was the fact that there was no video from the condo. Oh. The building had video cameras, but the feeds are monitored live. They weren't <sighs> recorded. Uh, So that was an even bigger issue when it came out that two days before the murder, a man came to the apartment claiming to be a delivery driver. Raymond answered the door. She spoke with him, and the man said he had a package for her husband. Alban wasn't at home at the time, but Raymond said she would receive the delivery. The man said that he left the package downstairs, and when Raymond offered to go back downstairs with him, he refused. Wow. He said he'd just come back another time.
0: Well, that's not creepy at all, right? (laughs) Right? Yeah.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Uh, So in June 2008, so a year after the murders, the auto police issued a $1,000, sorry, a $100,000 reward for information. Half of that money came from the cops and the other half came from donations. Two years later, uh, the reward was offered again and the case went cold after that. No real leads, I guess, whatever suspects they had at the time. Nothing panned
0: out. Interesting. So I'm assuming that this is one of those cases that then continues on, like there's a relevant... Because that's not the end of the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) No, that is not the end of the story.
1: Okay. (laughs) So we fast forward to December 2014.
0: Oh, that's fairly recent.
1: At 7.30 a.m., a man claiming to be a City of Ottawa employee asked to be buzzed into an apartment building in New Edinburgh. Which is where I grew up.
0: Yes, I know that neighborhood.
1: (laughs) It's a very nice neighborhood. Mm -hmm. Uh, World War II veteran Colonel Ernest Coté let the man into the building, and this man came to the colonel's door looking for money. Coté refused, and the man forced his way into the apartment. He tied up Coté, put a bag over his head, searched the apartment, and took off with some cash and some loot.
0: I think I heard about this yeah. because it was an army veteran. Yeah.
1: Yes. After this guy left, Coté freed himself yes. Yes, and I called know. the cops. I do
0: remember the story.
1: Ernest Coté was 101. Yes.
0: An amazing, <laughs> amazing. amazing man. Yeah.
1: <laughs> the cops arrive and they process the scene and they find DNA.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, and of course, when they run it, it matches a sample taken from a triple murder that happened seven years ago. Oh, so, so it was the same perpetrator. It was the same guy. Well, it was the
0: same M.O. too, Same, right? Mo- Yeah, mm. right?
1: Uh, meanwhile, this time there is security and CCTV footage from the time. Uh, and a, a photo was released in the media. A tip led the cops to Ian Bush. And when the police <laughs> searched his house, they found what was described in the news as a murder kit which included duct tape, rubber gloves, a sawed-off rifle, and a big pile of ammo. They also found a journal in which Bush had written about planning a murder and that tax collectors were, quote, the lowest form of humanity. Wow. Yeah, this guy was nuts. Uh, Okay, so who's Ian Bush? Uh, At the time of his arrest, Ian Bush had a small HR consulting firm, which he ran from his home. Uh, But back in the 90s, he'd run up a huge tax debt, owing the government sixty thousand dollars and he had to borrow money from his mother to pay down his debt this guy was an hr guy yeah wow (laughs) because he seems like a big hr (laughs) problem for himself uh he argued the government was unfairly taxing him for moving in business expenses he'd moved to ontario from new brunswick i think uh and of course didn't want to pay the taxes for these expenses. Uh, and he sent a bunch of angry letters to the Canada Revenue Agency, which back then was called Revenue Canada. One, one of the letters he sent was just two words long. Bullshit. <laughs> I
0: thought it was going to be fuck you. <laughs>
1: um, but that's pretty good. So his case made it uh, to the tax court and a hearing date was set for Bush's appeal. Bush said he wouldn't be able to make it on that day, the day of the hearing, for, quote, business reasons. Uh, But the court denied his request to reschedule, probably because it wasn't a very good reason. No, exactly. Give a specific
0: (laughs) business reason, maybe. Right.
1: Yeah. Okay. Um, And the judge who had denied rescheduling this hearing was Albin Garrel. Okay. There you go. Uh, The hearing went ahead of schedule. Bush didn't show up, I guess, because he had business things to do. So
0: he lost his case.
1: So, yeah, he lost his case. Uh, It was dismissed. And that all happened in 2001. Right. So that's six years before the murders. Wow, so he really thought about this one. Right. Later that same year, in 2001, Bush faxed Judge Gardon a letter summoning him to appear before a fake court in his house. The clerks who received the ta- uh, the fax were totally bewildered, and Gardon asked that the weird facts be included in Bush's file. Uh, when police were drawing up suspects... For the murder in 2007, Bush wasn't on the list because Garon hadn't presided over his case. He was just the one for the hearing, right. not for the actual case. So the police never made that connection. Right. Uh, Bush was found guilty of murdering the Garons and their friend Marie Claire, uh, as well as the robbery and attempted murder of Colonel Coté. Those were separate cases. Um, and actually, after he was, they were tried as separate. They were so,
0: tried as separate yeah. cases. Yes. Yeah. Well, one was murder, and the other one was assault and robbery.
1: Yeah. Um. In like two different, like different people. Yeah. Different, different times, times. Yeah. Yeah, yeah and stuff. also
0: yeah. generally, uh, prosecutors will then. We should actually ask some of our lawyer friends later <laughs> about how they decide whether to prosecute people together or how to, like, truncate the cases or. If it happens at all, yeah, yeah. exactly. It does happen. It does. Yeah. I'm uh, just wondering, like, why and how. Yeah. Anyway,
1: anyway so. I have no answers for you on that particular either. point. But anyway. <laughs> Stay tuned to learn more. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> um, in yeah, so he's found guilty of these murders and attempted murders. Uh, and he's also a suspect in another murder that took place in 2007. Uh, in April of that year, Paul André Simon was murdered in his home And the circumstances surrounding his death are very similar to what happened on Riverside Drive and in Winnembro. Interesting.
0: And this was earlier?
1: That was earlier. Right. So So it might be
0: what it was perfecting as.
1: Maybe. Yeah. Style. Um, I don't have any more information about that one. There's really not much in the news about it. Okay. Uh, Yeah. So that's the story of the Riverside Drive triple homicide.
0: Oh, that's interesting. (laughs) There you go. Yeah. You picked this one because it was close to home, quite literally.
1: Yes. Okay. I, yeah, that's exactly the reason why.
0: Because <laughs> I remember my
1: mom talking about it. Talking about I mean, I don't remember the murders in 2007, yeah. but I remember in 2015, my mom telling me the story about, like, a break in a new Edinburgh,
0: and it got linked back to a murder right. seven right. years before. So, basically, the linking factor is how this man was charged was through his DNA. Yes. I mean, MO would have been there, but that's circumstantial, or- well, it, it could of there, but the definitive evidence was DNA. Yes. Uh, that was um, undeniable. So what I've done is I did a little research into DNA, the history of DNA uh, in general. So forensic history of DNA highlights. I checked out uh, rcmp.gc.ca, so it seems like a pretty reliable source.
1: <laughs> <I> <laughs> we hope so.
0: The I, Mounties
1: know what they're talking about. I would like
0: to. To think the Mounties <laughs> know about law and arresting <laughs> and forensic and measures. Yeah, and some, <laughs> something like that. Um, so just some interesting points here. In 1891, uh, Captain, I'm, I'm really sorry about the pronunciation of names in Argentina. Um, <laughs> so Captain Juan <laughs> Vucetich. <laughs> uh, a young argentinian police captain charged forensic science a uh, changed uh forensic science forever with the use of the fingerprint evidence left at the crime scene so latent fingerprinting was invented in argentina wow yeah i thought it was in the states no no for the to solve the dual murder of two young children wow yeah interesting uh, and then in and then it just jumps to 1983. Okay, well, fingerprinting fingerprinting was the only like latent thing, thing for that a you while. that you could yeah. use up until 1983 when technology gave us the ability to um, use DNA, and that was used in the first case in the Commonwealth, aka the United Kingdom. In this case, um, after a young woman was found sexually assaulted and murdered in a small uh, town in Le- Leicester, right? That's how you pronounce it. Leicester. Leicester. Uh in an intensive police investigation, the case remained unsolved. Uh three years later, someone did a similar murder, same MO. And uh the police sent samples of the forensic evidence from both crime scenes and samples of the suspect's blood, um, who to Dr. Jeffries and uh Dr. Jeffries was tell, able to do two things. Um, tell them that the DNA evidence collected both crime scenes came from the same person, and two, the suspect's DNA did not match the DNA evidence from the crime scenes, and the first prominent use of forensic DNA evidence l- led to the exoneration of an individual who confessed to the crime. Whoa! Yeah, so wow. not only did you have a false <laughs> confession and a man who is was uh, innocent let free, you had a, the real murder actually prosecuted. Wow! Based on DNA evidence. So... Uh, Blood samples after that point were taken from more than 4,500 men in the communities and a DNA match was found and one dude was convicted of the murders and sexual assaults. Wow. In 83. Wow.
1: I'm just going to keep saying
0: wow over and over again. Uh, In 89, the RCMP first used DNA analysis and investigation of sexual assault in Ottawa. A lot of things going on in Ottawa. Right, Ottawa. All right. Um. The victim visually identified her assailant, but the suspect denied any involvement, so they used DNA to confirm, and it was indeed him. Okay. Uh, 1995, Parliament made history when BC 104, that's really important, actually, the the bill name essentially because that's what uh, was used is the bill that is passed and has to be amended in order to adjust dna laws oh, and okay. dna testing so anything that has to do with dna in legal terms has to do with c104 and uh violation of rights okay so any collection disposal anything that's all under c104 As far as I understand it, I am not a lawyer. No, we are not lawyers. We are not lawyers. We should have said that from the very beginning. You can probably tell by my lack of, um. Knowledge? No, I was going to say, like. (laughs) Okay, that's you.
1: What were you going to say? Your lack of ability to express yourself?
0: Absolutely. (laughs) Or, or my, I was going to say cohesiveness, but. (laughs) Um. So then in 1998, a special DNA typing task force led the RCMP, which induced scientists from both the RCMP and the Center of Forensic Sciences, and they used DNA analysis to help identify human remains from Swissair Flight 111. Oh. So uh, 2000, the National DNA Data Bank, uh, which is known as the NDDB, uh, and the Proclamation of Bill C-3, which is another important bill in this case um enabled a judge to authorize the collection of dna samples from offenders convicted of designated offenses okay um the chron. what's chrono- the designated offense so here you go okay so chronological okay. chron- chronology of dna legislation in canada uh, 1995 bill c 104 forensic uh, dna analysis statutes of canada 1995 c27 receives uh royal assent oh okay it becomes the, law it became law yes uh, the bill amends the criminal code and the Young Offenders Act and enables judges to issue warrants. So, like, that's the warrants. Based the on rights, DNA? Yeah. Okay. And, and obtain DNA evidence from suspects in criminal investigations. All right. Uh, phase one of the Government of Canada's DNA strategy, which provides a legislative framework for the use of DNA evidence in criminal proceedings. That's why it's so important. Okay. Uh, phase two of the Government of Canada uh, Canada's DNA strate- strategy began in January of 1996. And it began with a nationwide, uh, nationwide consultation for the establishment of a national DNA uh, data bank okay. for all offenders or people that had been subscribed to Bill C one hundred and four, essentially.
1: Well, you wouldn't be in the DNA data bank unless you'd had your DNA collected
0: with the rights under of C- under, under Bill, C-104. Under Bill C one hundred and four. That's okay. what I'm saying. Yeah, okay. Yeah, thank you. For so it's that. not just anybody. No, no, no. It's not like, like everybody's. <laughs> it's not. We're not in George Orwell's <laughs> it's world. It's not
1: 23 and me. No.
0: <laughs> no, which is voluntary anyway.
1: Yeah, but that isn't entered into a crime, crime database. Yes.
0: Is it entered? <laughs> I, I hope not. Oh my god. Oh my god. World, oh my god. <laughs> I just did that. <laughs> um, okay. Anyway. Uh, so in November 1999, so we in the next oh, sorry, In December 1998, I skipped a year, Bill C-3 DNA Identification Act receives royal assent and work begins with an 18-month schedule to establish the NDDB, okay? Uh, no- November 99, as Bill S-10 is tabled in the Senate. Based on the Senate recommendation, the bill contains amendments to Bill C-3, including the taking of fingerprints for identification purposes, the inclusion of offenders... Uh, convicted of designated offenses in the military justice systems. So, it's so one of the first time the military has been brought into this, as oh, far as I understand. Okay. As far as I understand, yeah. And a full legislative review of the DNA legislation and NDDB to be conducted by the Senate and the House of Commons after five years. May two thousand partial proclamation of Bill C three to permit the creation of the DNA data bank advisory committee by regulation. That's a lot of bureaucracy here. <laughs> Should yeah, we skip some of the we're gonna, more we're bureaucratic gonna, yeah, we're gonna elements s- of this timeline. That's that's <laughs> fine, right? Um, so essentially, June two thousand seven, which is when your initial crime happened, I do believe, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. the Royal Scent of yeah. Bill C eighteen Act to amend certain acts in relation to DNA identification. Uh, and it basically further expanded the radioactive scheme to include attempted murder and conspiracy. So basically, oh. what it does is in June two thousand seven, they're just expanding the um, the reasons. The reasons, yeah, the reasons that you would you have get, to DNA in, to be in the database. To, okay. Uh, the court can issue a DNA order for an offense committed at any time before June to that uh, June thirtieth two thousand. So even previous crimes are now included, oh, okay. which wouldn't have happened if. This the crime in two thousand seven. Maybe it happened in nineteen ninety eight, prior to two thousand and five. Wait, run that by me again. <laughs> <laughs> so if the if the if if the crime had happened in nineteen ninety eight, and this was and the crime had happened in two thousand and five, they wouldn't have been able to go back because that didn't exist at that point. This, okay, this allowance for a collection of anything of before. DNA. Yeah. Okay. okay, got it. I'm just saying that it's it was important for your crime in particular this week because the timing of it allowed them to like go. Well, on. they
1: collected the DNA in two thousand and seven. Yes
0: yeah yeah and they were allowed to keep it, but I'm just saying that had this happened previously, they wouldn't have been able to do it. They wouldn't have been able to go back and collect for that long that seven year period okay, okay. I think I get it okay <laughs> hopefully again, not very articulate um i I hopefully hopefully as the episodes go on, I'll be better at this uh allow for DNA to be made within uh or DNA orders to be made within ninety days of the person sentenced or found not criminally responsible on account of mental disorder. So it's just giving... It's more specific, essentially. So uh, if you want, I will will post this. You can
1: read it at your leisure. Yeah, you
0: can read it at your leisure. I'm just going to go now through kind of the other ones, otherwise we're going to be here all day. (laughs) Um, So essentially, there are different bills that are amended and introduced uh, up to a certain point. Um, And essentially, it's just usually expanding the breadth... Of the law, okay. So one is, you know, Protecting Victims from Sexual Offenders Act, like these types of things. So they're like, oh, maybe we should protect some kids too. Yeah, hey, there's an DNA, right? So it's not going full on George Orwell, but definitely, if you've been convicted of a crime, we've probably got your DNA. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, in any scene, um, yeah. So, and and just basically from that point to, to July 2015, which is the last date, it, it's just uh, again reading more adding more offenses okay to the point where it actually doesn't even list what those offenses are in this uh it was pretty much the anything in every I would imagine the bill amended the criminal code by creating two offenses that meet the criteria to be secondary genetic generic offense okay so it's like <laughs> like again like you're just expanding it um <laughs> So the NDDB milestones are uh, so are quite interesting. July six two thousand first crime scene DNA profile received in CODIS, which is the internet, the oh, national the ina- national database for
1: the American one.
0: CODIS. Uh, no, I do. We we have a CODIS here too. Oh, we have our own. So the NDDB is the national. It's just the database for DNA, but CODIS is the national database for criminals. Okay. And for crimes in general. Okay. So, so they add DNA yes. to CODIS. Yes. Got it. <laughs> yes. Sorry. Uh, July 7, 2000, first convicted offender sample received at the NDDB. July 31st, I'm not even going to go through the years until I need to. First convicted offender of DNA profiled into CODIS. Uh, first match was September 5th. Uh, identical twins that were convicted in, uh, in Convicted Offender Index. Identical twins? Yeah, because yeah, identical twins are they the only the people they have the same DNA. Same DNA. Yeah. yeah uh october uh, october 13th first match between a convicted offender and a crime scene november 10th first match between two crime scenes december 13th first murder investigation aided december 5th 2001 first 100 matches between crime scenes and convicted offenders Uh, april 8th first 200 matches between so at this point just sort of spiral yeah uh and then july 31st 2003 first 1000 matches for february 13th first 100 matches between two crime scenes May 27, 2004, first 2,000 matches. uh February 21st, 2005, first 3,000 matches. Wow, so it's like just growing exponentially. Yeah, essentially, yeah, yeah. May 19th, uh, sections 5, 16, 7, and 30.1 uh, of Bill C 13 received the royal assent. December 12th, 2005, first 4,000 matches. August 14th, 2006, over 100,000 convicted offenders profiled entered into CODIS. Wow. Someone upped their Is uh, internet uh, game. A lot of data <laughs> entry. Yeah. Uh, and April 19th, 2007, first 7,000 matches between crime scenes and convicted offenders. Wow. So that's kind of the history of and the milestones, anyway, at yeah. that point. So it's kind of it's interesting uh and then i mean obviously we've talked about dna a lot um but what is dna do you know rachel it i believe it stands for i hope i pronounce this
1: right dioxyribonucleic acid yes you did (laughs)
0: pronounce it right yes i had to listen to like two youtube videos (laughs) to be able to say it to get that one. i'm not even going to attempt that i'm just going to say (laughs) dna so the so one, what is it? So essentially, DNA—they call it like your genetic fingerprint, which is pretty accurate. Everybody has a unique fingerprint to themselves and can be identified yeah. through that. Uh, DNA is is uh, a molecule. It's present in every cell of our bodies, and it's uh, molecules, sugars, and phosphates, and the order in which these things are arranged are unique in everybody. Okay. And I'm not going to go, I can also, I'm going to pop up a couple of videos with um, some links to know exactly what it is, because I'm not going to go into the exact, like, about the proteins and how they build an RNA and all that stuff. No, nobody wants to hear that. <laughs> I, actually, I was quite interested because I'm a geek, but not required. Not, yeah. Yeah, again. not, We're not getting into Not right. required. Um, so once a DNA ladder, which is the essence of uh, a DNA code, which everybody's is unique, um, is analyzed, it can be compared to another molecule's DNA. So you can just see if they match or not. It's kind of like playing um, like the match game, like the card game. You know oh, what yeah, I memory? Like of, yeah, like memory. Yeah. So it's like, oh, okay, those two match. Okay, that's you. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, it links a suspect to a crime or exonerates someone, which we have already kind of gone through, um, where biological evidence has been left at a crime scene where maybe you know previously it couldn't have. So on a, on a molecular basis. So like say you had something to compare it to, like a hair sample, it wasn't definitive. But if you were allowed to extract DNA from a sample like blood on the scene, you could then connect the two more easily with a suspect. Yes, with a suspect yes. or with you know a victim even like who was the person who was dragged away from here. It can also identify people at a crime scene. Anyone. Well, you have to have someone you can to yes
1: make the match for like exactly. But just... here's the
0: thing: it's like you, it's like when you find a body of someone they don't know who it belongs to, and then they need to find someone who is of the same genetic makeup, or they ask for a toothbrush or a hair of the person to identify the body. Yeah, yeah. So things like that, identification purposes of victims and or um, criminals, okay, perpetrators, <laughs> the perp, the perps. Uh, it determines parentage for purpose of paternity, immigration, and other cases. Yep. And identity human remains when visual or dental determinations are not possible or conclusive, yeah. so uh, it can be challenged uh, in court um, through uh, different factors, and this is what lawyers can argue to. So they can argue to the degradation due to age of and environment and contamination of the sample. Yeah, they can argue variations and in interpretations of the bands due to human subjectivity. So whether the scientists like screwed it up or not. <laughs> so. <laughs> Uh, lack of census as to the basis of statistical comparison. So a match arises persuasive force um, from the analyst's ability to tell the judge and jury. So it's basically about it. then the testimony given by the expert. Oh, man. I don't know if I agree with that. Yeah. yeah, Exactly. Well, I mean, yet within, it, it says yet within the scientific community debate exists as to the basis for these statistical pronouncements. Um, <laughs> and then qualification of the lab techs. So if you have like a first year undergrad, Student running, running, the DNA running your DNA analysis. Lab. That might be a reason. I
1: think you've got bigger problems. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh,
0: and qualifications, same thing. Qualifications of people doing the analysis, so the lab techs, and then the people who are analyzing the data afterwards. Mm-hmm. So these are these are ways that you can challenge, challenge the DNA. DNA, and then you can challenge DNA evidence in court with um, obviously how things were how the evidence was collected, again that mm-hmm. like contamination, transportation, how is the specimen preserved. Isolation, were proper isolation protocols? Was it contaminated in the lab? Yeah, if Um, it was contaminated. If it was, yeah. Testing techniques, qualification of technicians, experts, as we've discussed. And uh, database sufficiency. Was the database that was used to generate the statistical probability of a coincidental match, or was it sufficiently broad?
1: But you often hear... The the chances of this being someone else other than John Smith are, like, one in a trillion. So
0: it's like, what would be a coincidental match? Oh, I know, he... <laughs> I know, I know, I I'm know. Just, I'm just saying that, you know, like, maybe the tech has, like, a thing against the guy. <laughs> I don't know. Or he took up the same sample. It was two of the same sample. I don't right. know. I don't, like, I'm just, I'm just saying that is what they can argue <laughs> okay. for. Okay. All right. So that's what I have for that. Um, From the history perspective, and I... I mean, I think that... Well, I learned a lot, actually, about DNA yeah. on this one. Yeah. It was actually quite interesting. Pretty interesting. Yeah. And then... Because um... in this case, the DNA
1: um, was... It, that's how they made the match between the two crime scenes. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was actually, this Ian Bush, um, the tip that led the police to, to where he was, to how to find him, was his family. Oh, yeah. They recognized him huh. from the photos in the news. Got burned by his own fam. Yeah. That's awesome. And they <laughs> they <laughs> called the cops on him. And of course, everyone in the family is like, oh my God, we can't believe it. This is so unlikely. can't him. be him. Yeah. But I mean, yeah, but it is. The DNA don't lie. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but I guess in
0: some cases it can. But in this case, it's it did not yeah. lie. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Right. <laughs> um,. Yeah, very strange anyway. i um, speaking of strange. Do you have a strange uh, I oh, weird new weird news headlines? Yeah, we have so we're going to have a segment on the on this podcast called uh Weird New News Headlines, Crime Headlines. <laughs> crime Headlines. <laughs> and uh Rachel, take it away. Yeah, I found a headline about
1: <laughs> a dog that had mauled its owner. And the dog was found to be high on crack at the time. Had had the dog exhibited any
0: previous aggression like prior to the crack? Crack use? Or was it the crack that made him break? Does the dog have a history of crack use? Does the dog dog have a history of being aggressive?
1: No, I think the the dog's owner was a crackhead. No, I know. I'm
0: I'm just saying that was the dog aggressive just purely because of the crack? Or was it also he was predisposed to being aggressive and was high as well? I, I don't know. I can't
1: answer that question. Okay. Because well. I just read the headline. <laughs> <laughs> Not the story. Because <laughs> it's a ridiculous headline. It is a ridiculous yeah. headline. Okay. So there we well,
0: go. Fun news I guess I'll have from to, around the world. I will have to put up the link for that and you can read the <laughs> yeah, story yourselves. No, okay.
1: <laughs> and have, have do you have a fun fun fact for us today? Yeah, I
0: thought that we would we would do a fun fact segment. I, I don't know. Sometimes they won't be fun, but odd. Yeah. Uh, facts. Just facts. Facts about... Crime facts and stats. Crime facts and stats. That's what we should call it. (laughs) Crime facts and stats. Uh, So I came across a CBC article from uh, June 9th, 2016. So this is fairly recent. And I think we should all know when our laws change.
1: Yes, Um, absolutely.
0: So... Being that I don't think this pertains to a lot of people, but for the person that might be into this, they might want to be aware that the law um, for consent and bestiality has has changed. <laughs> just I'm, I'm saying that this is I'm providing a service. What did you type into Google? <laughs>
1: come up with that one bestiality and laws in Canada
0: you actually yes purposefully googled that yes okay because I think that this is something that we need to know about because I didn't know what the laws would be like for bestiality
1: well I how would an animal consent to sex
0: well so here we go we're about to find out this is, so <laughs> uh so at issue were updates to the criminal code in 1955 and 1988 um and the term bestiality had a well-established meaning as it refers to any type of sexual nature or sexual intercourse between a human and an animal, which can be in many different ways. Okay. Now the definition is uh, purely based on penetration. Oh, okay. That's it.
1: All right. So basically. So no other sexual contact.
0: <laughs> so it's is... basically don't have sex, intercourse. <laughs> don't have sexual intercourse, intercourse with an animal. animal. And don't don't let them have sexual intercourse with you. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. So that, that would be the definition of bestiality. That's it. Does it, does it explain why the change was made? I would like to point out that it was a six, one decision in the Supreme court that affirmed the ruling. (laughs) So this was like done. There was not like everybody was like, okay, it's not about sexual activity. It's about sexual intercourse. Okay. Because before it was based on sexual activity activity. and now it is based purely on intercourse. Got it. So good to know. (laughs) just so let your friends know it there everybody yeah. <laughs> spread the word yeah you can you
1: still can't have sex with animals you can
0: make out with them but you, can, you can't have sex with them you can't have sex with them intercourse
1: right yes penetration penetrative sex yes got it <laughs> <laughs> thanks
0: for joining us yeah thank you very much for our first, first episode of
1: true north crime Uh, We invite you to connect with us uh, on Facebook and through our website. If you have any fun facts and stats about crimes, like share with us any questions. uh,
0: TrueNorthCrimes.com or .ca. Sorry, TrueNorthCrime.ca. Yes, (laughs) TrueNorthCrime.ca. Yes, Uh, and you can. I'll, yeah, just uh, let us know. And also, as, as we progress, we do have some guests lined up and some interviews.
1: Yeah, so stick with us as we yeah, that, that actually evolving. know something about law, that, yeah. like some lawyers and some Actual professors. Lawyers,
0: not, <laughs> <just> <laughs> not us. Two morons who like murder. <laughs> I don't think this would say I like murder. I'm interested in the law history and the bestial elements of people, what drives them to commit these crimes. That's kind of what drives me to be interested in murder. So you like murder. <laughs> A little bit.
1: <laughs> uh, so I have, I've been Rachel. Uh, I've been Shelly. And we'll see you back here next time. Yep.
0: Try not to commit any crimes. <laughs> <laughs> or have sex with, or have sex an, with animals. animals. <laughs>